Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Welcome back to another episode of the Elaborate Topics podcast. I am one of your co-hosts for today's show because today we have a roundtable for you. So you've got myself, Stephanie Whitehead, and my co-host, Tywana Wilson and Lona Small. How are you ladies doing today? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. How's the weather? Is it hot? Very hot here in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> in Maryland. I think it's in the 90s. I was just outside. Well, we've got a great episode for you guys to listen in your car, in the house, and the comfort of some air conditioning, because we've got a great show for you today. We're super excited. But before I get into that, I'll give you a quick overview of our podcast. If this is your first time listening, the Elaborate Topics podcast is a weekly podcast where myself and my co-hosts bring you topics related to the laboratory and leadership to help you excel inside and outside of the laboratory. And I'm so excited today because we've got one of our sisters in science, Ms. Tokiwa Smith. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Thank you for joining me today. Takiwa, I'm so excited to let the listeners know all of the exciting things you've been doing with STEM and science in your community in Atlanta, Georgia. So why don't you give us a quick uh, bio of yourself? Tell us about your science journey and let's get into some interesting questions for you because we really want to pick your brain, girl. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Takiwa Smith. I'm a Florida native, well, not Florida, I'm from Miami, and, you know, folks in Miami consider us, you know, a city of our own, and everybody else is Florida, <laughs> and I am an alumni of Florida A&M University, um, I have a degree in chemical engineering, and I have transitioned that degree to a career as a social entrepreneur and STEM educator, I'm spending most of my career doing um, program development and research training programs for pre-college and undergraduate students working for organizations such as Spelman College, mm. um, California State, East Bay, and Hayward, and Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Um, in 2005, I started my journey as a social entrepreneur, started a nonprofit called Science Engineering Mathematics Link. It is a nonprofit that in a nutshell connects kids with the STEM community to get them interested in STEM careers by providing positive adult role models in STEM. Um, I also do some consulting work in STEM education and philanthropy, and I've started a new venture, um, Takiwa T. Smith Consulting, focused on um, STEM education and racial inequities. Um, in STEM education and philanthropy. And one of the projects of that is a sister nonprofit network that creates a safe space and community for Black women nonprofit leaders. Um, and I live in Atlanta. Um, and that's just a brief intro of me. Awesome. Well, I don't know about my co-host, but I am super excited. It's always nice to talk with a fellow HBCU alum. I went to Kentucky State, so I'm excited to talk with you uh, and learn more about you. 
And on this show, we're always talking about leadership, whether it's leadership inside the laboratory or outside the laboratory, and the ability to motivate and inspire others through influencing uh, results and to impact outcomes. And I can see from your bio that you have done a lot of that, especially with founding your organization, the SimLink. So what were the community needs that you were hoping to impact and what made you start that organization? Why was it so valuable for you to do that at that point of your career? I tell people all the time, what SimLink has become and why I started it it's like bigger than I ever imagined. I just wanted to help some middle school students in Atlanta that looked like me that weren't even thinking about STEM careers because they were, that wasn't the adults in their lives, what they were pursuing. And these kids were too brilliant not to even think about it. And so it was my goal, you know, just start informally bringing my friends to the school for different things because I wanted kids to make informed decisions about pursuing STEM careers. And I knew the best way to do it was to connect them with the STEM community because I was fortunate enough that I liked math and science my whole life. And I was able to pursue a STEM career in spite of not having that many role models. But the reality is we know most kids need to see something to become it. And the best way to do that um, as a member of the STEM community for me was to create opportunities for kids to meet and interact with STEM professionals. And that has just become, that's the essence of our work, no matter what our programs is to provide positive adult role models in STEM for youth to get them learning about and considering STEM careers. Awesome. And I'm happy that you mentioned that it's important for organizations such as yours to have programs for people that look like you and I. And one of the things that came to mind, especially being in the laboratory community, I recently had a colleague say that they had been in the laboratory industry. He's an African-American male, and he hasn't seen many members in the community to look like him. And I could imagine that he probably didn't have early exposure. Uh, and I'm thinking about in my community, not having early exposure to STEM and how that impacts laboratory. So thinking about your organization as well as your consulting, because they go hand in hand, how are you able to, at least on the consulting side, be able to make your impact as well? And are you leveraging some of your clientele in the consulting arena to impact on your nonprofit side with corporate sponsors or things like that? Well, the consulting work started is wanting to do something different. Like the nonprofit focused on kids, right? Like we direct service to kids, but in working with kids, I realized parents and organizations are huge hindrances in kids pursuing STEM careers for various reasons. Parents don't have the knowledge. Um, organizations have, don't always have the knowledge as well. Um, their racial biases, all of those things that prevent kids from pursuing STEM careers and exposing them. And so to me, that work 
although it's separate work, it's interconnected work because um, I have this theory that I created and I'm working on a book. The book has been in my head five years. I just need to sit down and, and, and do it. You know, it's been professional. Like writing is hard, right? And then this has to be super academic. But I'm a firm believer that there is this continuing of STEM education. Um, if we want kids to pursue STEM careers where each of us have roles in preparing students to become STEM professionals. So it is the educational system that has its role, even though, you know, we as STEM professionals think like, mm, y'all ain't creating these babies prepared to be in the lab, right? But that's where the continuing comes, right? Is we as the community comes and support that. And then what happens in home and family. And so when we all work together, which is why I feel like my work, especially at this stage of my career has become more interconnected than I wanted to believe earlier in my career, because it takes all of that to raise a STEM professional and create environments and systems to first get kids interested in STEM um, and then prepare them to pursue it, getting them confident enough as well as the skill sets that they need, you know, just because I have this pet peeve where like you see things and they're like, we are teaching kids how to make Ooblick. And I'm like, Ooblick does not exist. It's some made up stuff. You're actually teaching kids techniques to make a polymer. So if we really want to teach kids and expose them early, let's use the terms that we would lose in the lab and the scientists. You wouldn't say oblique. I never heard that stuff. So I saw people doing science on the street and it starts just as simple as that, how we shape, how we do STEM outreach, the expectations that we have for youth um, and their ability to STEM and most importantly, the support that we provide to the kids themselves and the parents and their families because families look different and the organizations and systems that serve kids um, in their K through 12 educational experience. Wow. <laughs> awesome. You know, I, you know, just listening to this, it, I hear that passion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, and I imagine that, you know, you started out with this passion and the more you get involved, the more it's developing. Cause I'm hearing you talking about this book that's in your head and you seem to have almost like a signature process that's developing for you. And from that, I'm hearing you saying that the education system is important, the community is important, the home and family is important, the environment is important to kind of motivate and influence kids from a young age. But for you, um, Tokiwa, you're basically giving back. What was it that was that influenced you? What was it that gave you this motivation that you can actually give back to the kids? Was there something for you that helped you to influence you on your journey and um, help you to kind of move to where you are now with the different programs that, and services that you're offering? It was a couple of things. I can say that I was a child that was raised by the village. 
So it is has been important to me to be a part of other children's village. Um, even now, I still consider like I'm raised by the village because I have, have mentors that I call and text. Like I'm learning as I'm giving back to others. So it's such a odd place to be. Like what I'm still learning stuff and people looking up to me. I think Andre 3000 has a out a lyric and a rap about that. Like I can't believe I'm somebody's hero, right? When you're looking up to people, but um, you know I have personal and professional motivations. So um, the personal is my late maternal grandmother. Um, we had a conversation when I was in college, um, when I was majoring in chemical engineering. Um, you know, as a college student, my grandmother was closer than home in Miami. She was like an hour and a half away in America, maybe two. You know, we speed in college, so it may have been two. It may take two these days. But um, I went home, went to her house frequently, you know, as a college student, do laundry, get groceries, all that kind of stuff. And we were having a conversation about how, um, how she was that I was majoring in chemical engineering because chemistry was her favorite subject in high school. But my grandmother grew up in a time in the South where her father died before she graduated high school. And, you know, back then, if your father died, your whole economic situation changed. And, you know, Southern, South don't care about Black women, right? So all the supports that exist today, in spite of our family and dynamics, didn't exist now. And so, you know, I tell myself my work has subconsciously been motivated by my grandmother to remove as many barriers as I can um, for Black children that want to pursue STEM careers. Initially, I didn't think that my work was just for Black children. I was just like, I'm a Black woman. You know, I have to help kids that look like me. Um, but as I get older, I get more intentional about this work um, because the different people that are in these spaces that don't look like our children and don't serve our children the best way that we can. Um, and then the other motivation that I have is the several mentors that I had um, growing up, starting from my, my sixth grade teacher who told my mom that I was really good in science. Like I was raised by parents that don't like science. <laughs> um, and my only aunt that likes science is a microbiologist and I hate bio biology, but like, <laughs> her telling my mom to encourage me. And that's why I tell parents in my work, like, you don't have to be a STEM professional or be good at STEM for your child to be good at STEM. Just create an environment that supports their success in that. And so starting from that first mentor that encouraged my mom to create an environment for success, which led to me meeting, you know, going to college and meeting my professor, Dr. Um, G. Dale Weston, who I still text to this day, that opened his network, um, you know, gave me the education beyond classroom to open my net, open his network and tell me the things that I needed to do to develop my career. You know, I tell him my journey with him is full of words of wisdom and laughter because he's hilarious. Um, from my mentor, Dr. James Granger, who, um, guided me in developing myself professionally and my interest to give back to community outside of my everyday work through my involvement in the National Society of Black Chemists, National Organization for Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers, to the first Black 
Kimmy that I met, who I didn't very have a very long relationship with, but let me know that your journey is really about what you are interested in and good at and trusting that you will have people to support you along the way. Um, from my mentor, most recent mentor, I was like, let me not list everybody. We only got an hour. This will take like forever. But for my um, most recent mentor, when I met, you know, in my 30s in Cali, um, Sharon Parker, who I say would have the most similar path um, as mine. She was a biologist turned educator turned entrepreneur and the leadership skills she taught me and sharing your own journey, um, doing things that align with your, your goals, um, knowing that you can't do everything. So pacing yourself and doing the things that are most important to you. So those leadership lessons, words of wisdom throughout my stage of my life and career has been valuable. And one of the things that the common thread that all of them taught me is to be authentic to who you are and what you want to accomplish. Because although these are very different people with very different paths, that's something that they all had in common and they modeled for me indeed by just watching them. Wow, awesome. Stephanie, want to say something? Jump in, Stephanie. Well, I just think we talk so many times in our different forums about the power of mentorship and, you know, just taking time out of your day. If you have passion, knowing that everybody has something to offer and encouraging people to be mentors and just hearing the impact that your mentors has had on you, because sometimes you think I'm I'm regular. I have an eight to five. I'm not doing anything special. Why would I mentor a person? What is somebody going to learn from me? You kind of tend to diminish what you have to offer. But hearing you speak, I hope it encourages the listeners to know that, again, everybody has something to offer. And you never know what you would be pouring into somebody else and what they would be take from that and be the next Tequila in Atlanta and, you know, just develop all of these different programs that are hugely impacting your community in ways that I'm sure weren't there previously. So I think that's just amazing. Yeah, and the thing about mentor, people think it's so hard and it has to be this formal stuff. The majority of these conversations and words of wisdom that I had with my mentors was doing stuff they normally did, like over meals, showing up to their workplace, attending conferences with them, like helping them plan something. And so it doesn't take a lot or this whole, like, I got to do this. I have to block two out. It's just finding a way that's authentic to you doing stuff you regularly do all the time. Awesome. And I hear you speak about authenticity a lot. And I can actually feel it in a lot of what you say because it you made sure that whatever you're doing is really a aligned with who you are as a person and the passion that you have. And I think that's really a great message to our audience to find that thing that you really love to do and you'll be able to do it well. And, you know, you started out by saying you didn't even think that this would have gone this big. It was just that passion to help middle school students and it's authentic. And when you really love something, it will 
you'll never believe how much it can expand. And um, I really love that because you talk a lot about authenticity. And so just thinking about your mentors, I know you probably learn a lot from people, from experiences, from your um, trainings, but could you help us or help the listener just tell us a little bit about some of your leadership techniques that work for you in what you're doing? I laugh because I'm just like, oh my goodness. I I still wrap my head around myself, like considering myself a leader, right? Like, you know, we're black women. We put on our heads, we just do what we gotta do, right? <laughs> um, and in some cases people follow along. But I I wanna say the thing that I think, you know, when I try to like put myself on leader is the importance of having a clear vision of where you want to go and be able to communicate that vision, right? Because a lot of people that consider themselves a leader, no one's following them. They just loud and talking. But true leaders have a, <laughs> I'm sorry, like I just feel, you know, I'm just feeling that so much. It's true. Now. Like, it's true. Loud, it's talking, true. and wrong, right? <laughs> and you know, social media and all kind of things. Now they have more platforms to be loud, wrong, and talking. But um, to me, the first step in true leadership is having a vision of what you want to accomplish, where you want to go, and being able to communicate that to vision to others that want to support you. Um, and also something that I'm learning as a leader recognizing the people that actually have the skill sets to help you get where you want to go. I feel like leadership, the best leaders really facilitate, for lack of a better term, group projects, right? Where they create the, the vision, but they empower other people to use their skill set to help the vision come to pass. And then if you're a really good leader, you're reproducing other leaders that feel confident and com comfortable to create their own vision for what they want to accomplish and then move forward. And then, you know, it grows like kind of the coaching tree in sports, right? <laughs> Where you have these really good coaches and they create these other coaches that create really good coaches. And so that would be my main leadership tactic, like the vision and communication. Um, and also there's this quote that, that I've heard in my twenties they would say leader gets results through people. Um, now I'm in a couple of like civic organizations and I realized the ones that I enjoy the work and then the work that I enjoy um, and I try to create this environment in my leadership things, we have to be people oriented, right? Um, respect people, um, understand that they're human and we all have our flaws. Um, talk to people, get to know them. So, you know, you just feel like you are not just using them to complete a task, but they're actually a person with goals, dreams, interests, and problems, even though sometimes you're like, I don't really care, just do what I need you to do. But you actually have to listen because sometimes those problems are barriers to you achieving the work. So good leaders also think about their people um, and how you can connect serve and support them 
Wow, you said some real, really very important gems about leaders creating leaders. And when you may not have a skill set in other areas, then you are collaborating. You say team projects, but you know, collaboration is one of my, you know, I really love to collaborate. And I really try to preach that for others because you get so much out of collaboration and using other skill set to get to where you want to go. And at the same time, supporting the people on your team and trying to build them and empower them, give them that environment where they feel empowered. So thank you so much for answering my questions. Um, really, this was really, really enlightening. Thank you. I agree with Lona. This is, this has been amazing. Um, just your, your tips for leaders, listening to people, not treating them like into your product, but, you know, actually seeing them as individuals, like that's just, that's an important tip for, for many people and not something that a lot of people do. But I want to take you back um, because you have talked about your journey and your programs and you you were so effective in building this. And then um, you can't have a conversation about, without talking about the pandemic. So then COVID hits, <laughs> right? <laughs> then COVID hits and, you know, you've got all of this work that you've put in and you've built these programs and um, just like everybody else in the world, you I'm sure your mind was racing. You immediately had to pivot um, to continue to be effective. So during the pandemic, um, I know your program transitioned to virtual programming, but, you know, how did that happen? What were the steps? And then now that, you know, everything is kind of getting back to what I guess everybody's calling our new normal. Um, how has adding that component of, of virtual programming just turned out to enhance your program? You know, I'm probably one of the few organizations that when everything hit, in March, I didn't do anything. I was like, I'm going to take a minute. You know, <laughs> I had um, some health issues. So I was like, I'm going to take a break. And people were calling me like, what are you going to do? I'm like, nothing. I'm going to sit still for a minute. And I mean, I had fears like, man, is this pandemic going to shut my nonprofit down? You know, we're Black-owned. We don't have as much resources as others. You know, we're small. But I realized by taking that time to just take a break, um, it allowed me to, one, like, calm my fears and not recreate something in panic, right? Um, really think about what was the best way to do things virtually. Um, you know, what programs would translate because not everything translates well virtually. Um, it allowed me to think about adding virtual programs wasn't to me as simple as doing something that we did in person on a computer, but it was more about when I transitioned to virtual programming. Um, and my friend is Ed Texas, like, girl, you're doing digital programming, but being intentional about transitioning to something that just wasn't a pandemic fit but it was something that would be an addition to our programming. And so that was what the transition was. And so what, what we did was, um, you know, transition to new programming, like transition two of our programs to 
virtual um, that we're still going to keep virtual because in August we're moving to hybrid because I feel like I'm not rushing to whatever this new normal is, but the reality is people are getting antsy and they want to see you and I, you know, we can get more money when we send pictures of kids doing stuff versus the screenshots, right? Like, I haven't been able to send my thank you cards because I'm like, who wants to see screenshots? They love the pictures of the kids. Um, so transitioning things to virtual, um, added using our social media to do programming. So, um, you know, we started Instagram takeovers, um, STEM content through IG stories and posts um, to engage that way. Um, adding digital programming. So um, we created a new STEM journal club that is going to stay a virtual program um, to encourage high school students to read journals and teaching them how to read, excuse me, read journals. Mm -hmm. And we did two core cohorts of that. And in our last cohort, um, we their final project for the pie for the journal club is to create a podcast from a journal club, journal article. So we work with the experienced podcaster. Now we have a podcast channel, um, explain in which the students do their podcast. So at the end of each cohort, the students are going to upload their podcast to our podcast channel. Um, and so just being more intentional instead of just saying, this is just a quick fix for the pandemic. It was more so like, this is going to be a transition to hybrid programming and being intentional and seeing what that looked like. And I feel like in the long run that helped us do more quality programming. Um, the transition to digital, especially using StreamYard gave us content for our YouTube channel which improved our impact. Cause you know, if you do it in person, if they're not there, you can't go. But but we found out that even sometimes when people weren't live streaming, they were coming back to our YouTube channels looking later and using the platform StreamYard made it so much easier because it automatically posts to our YouTube channel versus if we were recording things in person, we had to get editing, all of that. And so for me, it, it allowed us to slow down, rethink, plan in a way that thought about the long-term sustainability of our program and relevance. Because I have a close friend that's an ed tech person and she was like, digital learning is here to stay in any programs and educational system that don't have that digital learning component is not going to be a program of the future. And so it allowed us to pause and still, and how are we going to have our programming last beyond the 21st century? Are we in the 21st century? I don't pay attention, but I, <laughs> I think so, right? I don't know, I was born I in 78. I don't pay attention to all that stuff. I'm like, we done, <laughs> but, um, but just going through the trends where you have the ability to impact children beyond the ones that you can just see and touch. I mean, I think that is amazing. But think about the skills these high school students are learning. I mean, I wish in high school somebody did have a journal a course to teach me how to read a journal in high school. I would have been, you know, light years ahead when I got to college and we were doing journal clubs. And, you know, 
And so just the gems that you are giving these students and preparing them for their future and giving them head starts from when they go to college and medical school and beyond, that's just that's just amazing. Exactly. I was telling them kids, my first exposure to journal is in college when my yes. research mentor was like, read these fancy journals because my expensive equipment is expensive and you can't touch nothing till you read this literature. So they were like, what? I was like, that is what college researchers do. And so mm-hmm. you know, you'll have, you know, having this skill in high school is an invaluable skill to have. Yeah. When you think about it, you know, you are probably so far from stopping what you're doing and retiring and you still got your book and you've got these new digital platforms and you got podcasts and YouTubes. Um, But when it's all over and you look back, um, what do you hope to have accomplished? What, what, what hope, what is your hope for your legacy and your impact? have two major impacts and first it was just one. Oh, and I forgot one I do we had do have an online course that teaches high school students how to conduct research as stem researchers mm-hmm. um that's an important skill to learn beforehand but my two well one main legacy is wrapped up in the direct service to children right like removing as many barriers as I can to kids pursuing STEM careers, right? So it is the exposure, it is the skills, it is their confidence, because even kids who, a lot of our events are, for lack of a better term, one and done, but I hear stories of parents coming later saying, my child is an engineer now because they met an engineer, right? And so, just removing any barriers to diversifying that future pipeline of STEM work, right? And I don't want to say workforce, even though like that's where capitalism and we think about workforce, but I really want children to think about like, what is it what I want to do when I grow up that aligns with what I'm good at and what I'm passionate about? And so making sure that that intersection for more kids, especially kids that look like all of us, right? Black kids um, include STEM, especially because we are the originator of STEMs with Kemet and the pyramids. And, um, you know, I don't know how, well, we do know how colonialism and slavery, right? But somehow, the very people who started STEM and people are still using the STEM knowledge that we created in ancient civilization on the continent don't feel comfort comfortable and are excluded from STEM. And to me, that is ludicrous and crazy. And I want to do all of that. I can't to change that. Um, Somebody told me once that if you are relying on the public school system to be your children's only source of education, then your kids are going to be behind. So that's amazing. That is. Um, The other goal that I have, and this is just something I've had in recent years, um, is a infrastructure, big picture goal of doing what I can to dismantle as much as I can you know, the racial bias and institutional and structural racism in education and philanthropy. 
And, um, you know, I'm just one person. I don't know what I can do, but I'm be knocking on it and unapologetically mm-hmm. Black in these spaces to address that, to highlight that. And when people are really willing to do the work, to work with them to change some of these barriers that are in the way for kids and organizations that serve them, especially organizations that are run by people that look like me. Because what you find is that systems are run by white men, right? That's just the way of the world. Um, We need to take some of that away. Um, But how do we chip at it, right? And how do we make them aware? And how do we get in a space where we are able to create systems that work for us in our our children, our community, and our organizations that we create? This has been amazing. I think we could talk to you for, uh, you know, for hours and hours, <laughs> but we do need to wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. As we wrap up, what would be one final piece of advice you would have for our listeners um, that they could use in their professional lives? And also, you know, let the listeners know how they could reach out to you if they've got further questions about your program or just want to connect with you and learn more about how you've been able to do what you've been able to do and they want to try to do the same? Um, The biggest advice I would give, um, and let me think about this. Um, Always be willing to learn, grow, and evolve personally and professionally. Um, There are things throughout your journey in each phase of your life and career that you are going to need to know, learn, in order to achieve what you need to now and what you need to do for the future. And I feel like a lot of people get stuck because we are afraid to learn and grow. We feel like we've got this knowledge set and that knowledge set is supposed to last us to accomplish everything we want to accomplish and that's not true like we also always have to learn grow and evolve um to seek out help like i'm an engineer by training there's a lot of stuff i'm not good at and i don't want to know because i'm an engineer i'm like we don't do that (laughs) and it is important to not especially for black women like it is super important not to try to do it all but to seek support ask for help Um, and do that. And um, the other thing is like, especially for women, brag on yourself. Forget that being humble. Like, I mean, yes, don't be an arrogant person, but there is nothing wrong with you highlighting your own accomplishments, being comfortable in your skill set, what you're good at, and what you've accomplished like if you don't toot your own horn who will like don't believe that be humble like it is very okay to be confident in your skills and communicate what you have accomplished and to celebrate those wins and you know as we get in our career our cv gets longer and longer 
it doesn't get longer for any get re, you know reason at all. It gets longer because the skills you learned at each stage of your career, you've accomplished things. You're going to continue to accomplish things. And by sh- telling what you accomplished, that opens more future doors of opportunities that you would never have if you follow people's advice to be humble and let other people speak on your behalf. Like, yes, that is important, but you should not only wait for people to speak on your behalf. Um, The other things like, don't be afraid to take risk. It's scary. The unknowns and the certainties are scary, but instead of being like, what happens if I fail? Think about what happens if you could succeed and you fly and it all goes well or even better than you imagined. So that is my advice. What's your contact the information? Um, the best way to contact me is on Instagram and LinkedIn. So um, at Takiwa Smith on Instagram. And I think you can find me as Takiwa T. Smith on LinkedIn. And my Instagram has a link tree link that has link to everything that I'm doing. Um, my LinkedIn is strictly professional and my Instagram is like a professional hybrid. Like my rule for social media is I don't say anything I wouldn't tell a stranger in the elevator, but it has a little more personal side about my journey as an entrepreneur, things I'm working on and things that are important to me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Takiwa, for coming and sharing with us today. You mentioned so many great nuggets, and I just am in awe of you, and I'm grateful for you answering the call to serve. And so, listener audience, please reach out to Takiwa, especially if you have an interest to serve. You don't need a special title to be able to serve. You just need to have a passion and a commitment to want to do so. So thank you for listening to this episode of Elaborate Topics, where we talked about them. We were able to talk with an engineer by background turned entrepreneur who's been able to leverage her professional background in order to develop the next generation of STEM leaders. You like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure that you share this message out because this is how we bring exposure to the next generation of STEM leaders. And until next time, my friends, I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.